Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to Out to Lunch, the podcast in which I take fascinating people out for a slap-up lunch. And all they have to do is be witty and sparkling and tell me all their secrets. If, like me, you were around in the very late 70s, early 80s, when two-tone suddenly smashed its way onto the airwaves, you will know my next guest. She is none other than the Queen of Scar. The actual queen. It is Pauline Black. Now, the restaurant that we're eating in today is called The Prawn on the Lawn. It's one of a very small chain. They've got three restaurants, uh, Rick and Katie Toogood. Two of them are in Padstow, and the one I'm eating in is in Highbury and Islington, uh, very close to the Highbury and Islington tube, in an old fish shop. I think they used to be more more of a kind of fish shop with a restaurant on the side, but now they're more of a restaurant with a bit of a fish shop on the side. But they sort of pride themselves on fresh fish and doing it quite simply. A lot of curing, a lot of pickling, that sort of thing. And I can't wait to try it. Let's go in. Pauline. How are you? I'm all right. Oh, I'm so pleased to see you. Oh. You're all right. Very well. Oh, goodness. Oh, it's sitting here. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Is that all right? Oh, look at that. You're still in Coventry. Yeah. Is Coventry still as exciting as it was when you went there? Yeah, I mean, when I went there, yeah. it was nearly 72 kind of thing. All the people that I knew had all done a gap year in India. <laughs> So they were Whereas all... you'd been in Romford. Well, I'd been in Romford, you know. <laughs> not, 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 none of that stuff for me. Yeah. And so they all seemed exciting. Everyone was wandering around in cafe hands, yeah. twinging. So I turned up like a miniature version of a mod, I suppose. You know, little red character shoes, yeah. and sort of white tights, and, oh, I'm going to college kind of thing, <laughs> that sort of thing. And in those days... The Ensex there. Oh, yeah. They were brilliant. Entertainment sex. Yeah, 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 yeah. They booked all the gigs. But they were good. They were good. Yeah. They were really brilliant at, uh, at Coventry. So I saw some great bands. I mean, yeah. within the first week, Freshers' Week, I'd seen MC5. Brilliant. You know, the incredible world of Arthur Brown, but who didn't see him yeah. plunking around in his yeah. kind of papier Setting fire brain to himself. Setting fire to himself. <laughs> yeah, all those things. Sorry, right. I don't want to interrupt. I just want to ask, can I grab you any water, tap, sparkling, still water to start off with? Have some sparkling water. Are you drinking at all today? I don't know, are you? I am, yes, of course I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's mostly fish here. Should, should, this is Shania. Yeah. And um, what, what do you recommend as a, as, a, as a nice bottle of white wine? I always go for the Orinto, very 
crisp, dry, nice like citrus notes, and it pairs really nice with most of our dishes. Then that's what we shall have. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds cool to me. Thank you very much. In fact, Shanai, do you want to help us with the menu as well? I've been told your gin-cured sea trout is brilliant. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. These are the three I've been recommended. The crispy artichoke. Yeah, it's one of my And also the scallops. Yeah, and the scallops are classic. Um, yeah. Should we should we have those as, as starters? Yeah, and then 100%. maybe maybe have Sorry, I feel like I'm ordering for you. No, no, not at all. Um, not at all. Yeah. I mean, I'd have gone for small plates. Yeah. And the ones yeah. you've chosen, I do not find offensive. Well, let's just take a couple Amazing. more then, and then... I'd like to try that monkfish. Yeah. Monkfish um, tandoori. This has some crushed spiced potatoes. Yeah. And if we're still hungry, and if we're we still come hungry, back. then we'll go. So, I, I've never been to this restaurant before. Apparently, it's been here ten years, and... It's, I've been looking at their cookbook. It looks like amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah, it does. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> so what was it like in Coventry when, when things started to happen? Because it was an extraordinary Well, it was an extraordinary fire, time. And uh, yeah. there, was a, there was a club called Mr George. And that was the place where yeah, young ladies used to go dance around their handbags. But if my memory serves me well, Bert Yanch was playing in Coventry and I'd got my first paying gig and that first paying gig was... As a folk singer? As a folk singer, yeah. Well, I didn't really classify myself as a yeah. folk singer, I just sort of... Yeah. You were a girl, I, a girl was, with a guitar? Yes, but I was the only black girl in yeah. any of that kind of thing. Mm. And in the audience was a young black guy who was doing politics and philosophy and economics at Warwick University. He came up to me afterwards and he said, you don't want to be hanging here. He said, you want to come and write songs with me, don't you? And then I, I went round to his house. He lived with the drummer who would go on to be in the selector, but he yeah. was moonlighting at that time. H. And H, indeed. I went round one day, and it was a Sunday, so everybody was asleep, so I was banging away on the door, and I went round the back, and poor H was coming out of the loo, completely stark naked, <laughs> with a mop and a bucket. <laughs> Which was quite handy because he managed to sort of uh, cover himself, and uh, and that was our first meeting, and we never looked back after that. <laughs> so I constantly remind him of that. So he scuttled away upstairs and got Lawton Brown down. Said, "This girl's come round. She wants to, you know, mm. so she's writing with you." And uh, Lawton Brown and I did write, and he began introducing me to all kinds of songs and music that I hadn't, you know, people like the Last Poets. And we wrote They Make Me Mad, which was on the first album, the Too Much Pressure album, together. And we decided that we should form a band, a reggae band. There were lots of people around in Coventry all passing through all these other bands. And he was the first one who took me to see the Coventry Automatics at that time on a Monday night. When I went to see Coventry Automatics, I remember Hard Top 22, which was a support band. And that had half the members of the selector in it, yeah. basically. Yeah. And really, it kind of went from there. Yes. No, I will, 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 will. Oh, just plug you. away. Yeah. <laughs> I promise you it. <laughs> Ooh, delicious. Mm, very fruity, actually. Mm. Oh, that's good. Mm. Quinta da Boa Esperanza. Uh -huh. That's what it is. It's from Portugal. It's delicious, isn't it? Never had Portuguese I was shocked when I read your biography mm -hmm. to um, kind of understand 
where you came from, adopted by a white family in Romford. It feels like a, lo a lot of what went into the selector was anger at your situation, was it? I think that we were all angry at our situation. Yeah. I'm not really sure that it was just down to me. I probably yeah. had an extra dollop of it yeah. because everybody else had families that they had come from. I didn't yeah. have a family and I felt very much like I'd been dropped down as an alien in Romford in Essex, which is a pretty land alien landscape anyway. Yeah. And in a white family who already had four sons, but they yeah. never had a daughter. And they had me from quite a young age. I think I was about four weeks old or whatever, but they didn't adopt me until I was 18 months old. And they were older. They were in their mid to late 40s even then. Yeah. So that was quite, quite strange. I, you know, being mixed race is no big thing these days. Uh, I'm thankful to say, you know, yeah. the, the wonders and beauties of miscegenation <laughs> have uh, made rather a lot of us. Yeah. But in those days, I, it really was, it wasn't quite, you know, run up and touch you for luck, but it yeah. wasn't far off that at that time. Yeah. There were also a lot of children who were the children of students who had come over, Nigerian students, that was a thing. And then they had their children fostered. So if there were any other uh, black kids within Romford at that time, my mother always used to meet them in Romford Market. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she got to know a few people in that way. And the only common denominator being that they were all white ladies with black children. And if you were a white lady with a black child at that point in time, it wasn't like, you know, these days. It was yeah. very much sort of, oh, she's adopted, you know. So anywhere yeah. I went, it was always, she's adopted, you know. Yeah. So that othered you for a start. So we have your gin cured trout here. Okay, wow. Very nice. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we're, we're from a similar generation. We're you know, both born in the 50s and we both mm. kind of that kind of two-tone thing happened in sort of 79, didn't it? Mm. Two-tone was a very kind of political, with a small p, non-sexist, non-racist sort of, and, and, and so was the comic strip. That used to be our, mm. our sort of strap line. And then, uh, yeah, we used to watch, watch all of you. I think that was all rather wonderful. I mean, it just seemed like everything was changing then. That whole, you know, like the tail end of punk. Yeah, any kind of time of adversity will throw up a different kind of entertainment. Mm. And we, we were sort of all dealing with Thatcher, weren't we? I mean, Thatcher came in in 79, and we were dealing with a kind of a world in which she was saying things like, there's no such thing as society, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. um, most... Only the individual. Yeah. It was a brutal time, wasn't it? Well, it was a I brutal mean, time, we, and we're still we, living through that time. We thought, we thought that was brutal. Mm. Little did we know what was to come. Yeah. That whole kind of thing of individualism is yeah. where it's got us to now, isn't it? So I was reading uh, Daniel Rachel's book, and uh, he quoted someone talking about you, who said you were the most militant black woman singer in the land. Oh. <laughs> but you probably were. I was different at a time when everything... I, I, you see, I wouldn't call... I mean, I would have called polystyrene yeah. possibly more militant than, than I was, mm. because she had a very, very definite way of looking at the world. You know, I really admired her when I first saw her on top of the pops uh, with a helmet on and, 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 and the whole thing and the braces on the teeth. I thought, yeah, it's possible to do something different. Yeah. And it kind of went from there. 
The first show, I think, that the selector did, um, as I recall, I was in pink spandex because somebody said to me that, well, you know, I mean, they all wear pink spandex. <laughs> oh, who all were? I really don't know. So, uh, but they seemed to think, and, uh, you know, well, you need to do something about the hair kind of thing. Yeah. And everybody else uh, who was from, um, you know, St. Kitts, Jamaica, uh, Ghana, the rest of us were all a mishmash kind of thing, uh, were, were in safari suits and uh, feral jumpers and <laughs> all these kinds of weird things. And then, fortunately, Neil Davis, who was our, our white guy yeah. and uh, in, in, in the selector, uh, his wife had some idea <laughs> yeah. about... Uh, she sort of gently took us all aside, took me around Oxfam shops and said, look, you know, what about this? Yeah. And uh, and from that, that that was great, and I will always thank her. She's unfortunately no longer with us, but I will always it's thank her. It's extraordinary that whole kind of... Because you've always looked very sharp. You look very sharp today. And you've always had a kind of sense of... Reading your book, you've always had a sense of what clothes are and what, what they can do for you and what, what they make you look like. And that whole kind of two-tone explosion and the and the kind of graphic style of the, of the and the checkerboard and all that sort of stuff. A lot of it, in hindsight, looks like it was planned, but it, the way I read it, it, it nearly all came from very disparate directions. Yes, it did. And, and I'm not really... We obviously all bought in to the whole black-white thing. Yeah. Uh, this was black people and white people and anyone in between kind of thing, making music uh, with a punk sensibility... Um, and uh, taking ska music because it was danceable and taking it out to the masses. We wanted people coming to our shows who looked like us and yeah. very dutifully having black and white clothing made that very easy to do. Yeah. Most of the black people that I had ever seen, black women that I had seen, were on the television. Yeah. And were the Supremes, they were the Ronettes, they were any of these kinds of things. And I, I used to sit fascinated uh, how you got these huge whippy hairdos yeah, kind yeah. of thing and um, not yeah. knowing that they were wigs and why wouldn't my hair do such a thing and, yeah. and, and all of this. But they had a style and I think that I bought into that. I, I probably, in retrospect, thinking about it, bought into Stevie Wonder's style more than anything because when I first saw him, he was only a few years older than I was yeah. and he was a young boy. And in he a sharp was, suit. Exactly. And, and he was just dressed in black and white clothing, as I recall. Um, Might just have been a black and white telly. It was a black and white telly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, who but knows? Anyway, yeah. Who knows? But yeah. anyway, thank you for black and white tellies. That's all <laughs> yeah. I can say. Because who knows where I'd have gone if I had colour. I never had colour television until mm, 1983. Yeah. It, it was a point of pride, you see, because we were tutor and we wouldn't get one. <laughs> Stupid, but there you go. And, uh, yeah. For all this kind of um, inclusivity and everything, two-tone movement, it, it, there wasn't, there weren't many women in it. No, there was myself the, and there was the body, the body snatchers, but there, there were adherents. You see, there were people like the Modette, who um, recorded with our producer, the same producer who did on my radio. They were an all-female band, and they were always first on at the electric ballroom, and then there'd be, well, I don't know, maybe bad manners after that, and then there'd be us, and then there'd be madness, and then we'd top it all off with the specials. Yeah. And that was a fantastic bill. Yeah. Um, so it felt as though there were women around. And, and of course, we had a female 
manager, or manageress, yeah. as I used to like to call her at the time. <laughs> um, and that was uh, Juliette V, yeah. who is now married to Billy Bragg. She was just brilliant. I mean, she was 21. I mean, yeah. she was younger than us. I mean, we were 26. We just looked 12, some of us. <laughs> you know, we had this little blonde, bubbly person who seemed to be very, very adept at managing and wrangling us all because we were terrible, unruly lot. Yeah. I mean, if there was a row to be had, God, we could have it. It does come through in your book that there's an awful lot of arguments. Oh, there's an awful lot of arguments. Lot of, yeah. awful lot of arguments, well, I think strangling. There are, I, th- and, I, think, I, think, I think there are any band, aren't they? The whole two-tone movement seemed to last about two years. Mm. Two tones, two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we weren't the only ones. I mean, yeah. the others. I, I, I can't speak for madness, but I can speak for what went on in the specials because yeah. I saw a lot of that. And we were not dissimilar. Uh, in fact, some might say they were worse than we were. Suddenly we were thrust into this situation of mirroring what was going on in society, which was full of National Front and all those kinds of people at that time. It was all kicking off because the Anti-Nazi League were on one side and... Rock Against Racism. Rock Against Racism was happening. You suddenly found yourself the um, flag waver for all things multicultural years before the word multicultural has ever been invented. Yeah. That was quite difficult because some people obviously just wanted to make music. Others, like myself, or those of us who were called upon to, to massage all the ills of society yeah. through, through interviews and stuff like that, you, you had to really start thinking quickly on your feet and negotiating the media because you would always be set up in some weird and wonderful yeah. way by somebody or another and into saying things that maybe you... Not shouldn't have done, it's, it's but strange, probably how, weren't the best for how, your How career. people become... Um, uh, have the role of spokesperson thrust upon them when they don't particularly think of themselves as the spokesperson. They're just, they're just someone who writes and sings songs. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I, I definitely didn't start out in that way. I, I can't say that I wasn't, didn't have political opinions. Obviously, yeah. I had every black person in this country had a political opinion yeah. at that time. They weren't well-crafted opinions. Yeah. And you've got to make them well-crafted yeah. to be able to... You can't you know, let any holes yeah. in. Yeah. Here's this fully formed uh, little movement called the Two-Tone Movement, which has sprung from Coventry and is taking over, for a very brief period of time, but nonetheless taking over programmes like Top of the Pops, when all of us had top ten singles at that time. Three Uh, three of you on the same night. Exactly. Yes, there was a big searchlight shone on you, like, hmm. Yeah. They look prime for yeah. picking, said the sun. <laughs> yeah. I've heard the instinct of people is just so cruel, isn't it? I've a lot of people. Well, yes, but that sells papers, doesn't yeah. it? But you don't know that at the time. I mean, all you know at the time is, gosh, somebody wants to seek my opinion on what I think about racism in this country. How nice of them. Well, I'll tell them. I'm sure, I'm sure, they're, I'm sure they'll write down exactly, exactly what I say. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
Dearest Lunchers, just to let you know that after you've finished listening to this, there's more. Yes, more. Join me over on The Digestivo, where you can hear your favourite guests tell us their top five restaurants in the world. Yes, that's in the world. That's potentially 60 restaurant recommendations from our special guests. And let me tell you, they know a thing or two about dining out. The Digestivo is also the place where we squeeze in some of the juicy extras that we didn't have room for in our regular episodes. For just £2.99 a month, you can get all that and every episode completely ad-free. Way less than the price of an actual Digestivo. This is the sort of thing you could be missing. It's called the Two-Tone Village, this whole collection of shops. But um, within one of them is this curated museum. And he has everything there. I mean, you've got to remember, Frank Ifield came from Covent. Did he? Yes. Yes. And uh, also... I've got a... Oh, I should have brought my Frank Ifield. You should have single. done. You should have she done. She taught me to yodel. I'm just trying... She taught me to yodel, 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 Oh, you can do it. Yodel, 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 Right then, where were we? We have the crushed spiced potatoes and your uh, marinated scallops. Whoa, uh, those look very nice. The shells are quite hot and the seaweed underneath isn't edible. Okay. okay. Was there ever a kind of week of, oh, this is lovely? Probably the very, very early days of when we were first on the coach with yeah. Madness and with all the members of the specials. Because none of us knew any better. There was this old coach used to turn up from yeah. Trathins with a two-tone man cardboard cut out in the back so yeah. that anyone would know who was on board. And it was just like a school outing coach. You know, the kind of one that you go to the swimming yeah. baths in once a week? Yeah. No toilet, nothing, <laughs> nothing, you know. And we were all on that. And that was fun for a few days because everybody was fueled by booze and yeah. various other, other things. Other stimulants. Other, other stimulants, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it was fun. But then, of course, the first gig is always great, isn't it? It's yeah. all those others. And this is like a 40-day tour or whatever. So by the time you're about on the 20th date, everybody is so tired, even though you're young and you can't, bickering away. You can't keep up with yourself. You can't keep up with yourself, mm. basically, yeah. <laughs> There's quite a lot in your book where you're not afraid. <laughs> and you described Terry Hall holding queenly court at the back of the bus. Well, yes. <laughs> well, I was used to sit up the front of the bus. Mm. Um, just cause, so I could be first off, because it was easier. Yeah. Uh, you've been on tour. You were the only, you were the only woman on the bus, right? apart from Well, the, apart from Juliet. Juliet. Yeah. I just couldn't bear all that, where everyone's hanging around in the foyer yeah. and trying to jockey for position to get the room and, and all that. Mm. So I used to see everybody who got on the bus, obviously. I, I can honestly say that Terry Hall, probably in the sum total of all of it, spoke to me a couple of times. <laughs> Couple of times. I mean, obviously, I'm very sad that he has passed on. And it's very, very unfortunate. It's very funny, but very ladies. disappointing. Us. No, but everybody thinks yeah. that we were yeah. all great mates or whatever. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I, I mean, Jerry Dammers. I mean, so back then, never spoke more than a couple of words. And I think for Rhoda, like she said, oh, I think Neil Davis spoke to mm. me once. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not necessarily thinking about that at the time. There was a lot of Terry Hall in Rick's character in the Young Ones. Was there really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, you know, we, we were watching all 
all of you on top of the pops and thinking, well, he's, he's a particular kind of poser, you know. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I loved him. I mean, I thought... Oh, so did I. I, I. I thought he looked absolutely brilliant. I thought his but posing that, was that genius. kind of um, uh, looking at people sideways on or even directly, yeah. you know. Yeah. It, was, it was always a kind of... Um, Extreme it, self-awareness. Yes, yes. Extreme I'm very pleased with himself. Yes, yes. Yeah. And we weren't really whilst, like that. Whilst pretending to be diffident. To, to be, yes, <laughs> all, of, all of those, which is a, d- a difficult act to follow. No, I wasn't really like that. I mean, I, I suppose I was just like anyone. I would just tear their head off if they said anything to me. I mean, it was like, we're at war here. Who were you at war with? Um, who was I at war with? Yeah, yeah. Everybody. I, you know, I, I'm one of those people. I don't really take any prisoners as such in that way. Because it was difficult for women in those times. It's uh, particularly black women, because if you were a black woman, you were expected to be the kind of um, fiery vixen of a Tina Turner, um, or the kind of very queenly Diana Ross. Uh, yeah. The other version yeah. of black womanhood, of course, was the I3s. Who are the I3s? Oh, in um, Bob Marley uh, oh, right, and yeah. the Whalers. Yeah. And, and, and we had all seen them. And I knew, I mean, you know, we'd got a couple of rasters in the band and things, and very much as a woman, you're supposed to be a little bit kind of seen and not heard, but available for a good whatever. (laughs) 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 And I just wasn't that, so no one really had a handle on me particularly. I mean, let me put it this way. When we first went to America, we were interviewed by uh, Marsha Hunt. I don't know whether you oh, remember yeah. Marsha well. Who, who could forget Marsha Hunt? Yeah. I'd always, from the time I was 15, I think, when she, she was doing hair in the West End, I'd always had a crush on Marsha Hunt because if there was anyone to look like, it was either going to be her or Angela Davis. Yeah. And here I was going to be mm. interviewed by Marsha Hunt. Our keyboard player, Desmond Brown, who was the most brilliant genius keyboard player, with the social graces of a an oaf, to put not too light, yeah. you know, find a point on it. So it took one look at her, and his first words to Marshall, oh, I've always wanted to fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're supposed to do an interview. Yeah. And then you're supposed to did start that, talking did, about did sexism that, or racism. Did that, did that affect was... the rest of the interview? No, I mean, she laughed it she, off. She loved, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> she thought it was, hey, that wacky... Uh, yeah. English sense of humour. So so that's what you were dealing with. So I very much felt as though I had a wall around me for a lot of the time. And the whole kind of, I suppose, wearing the hat, wearing the jacket, is a little bit like donning armour, isn't it? Yeah. I'm going to go to war here. Finding a character to be. We're all characters. We're all yeah. full of characters, aren't yeah. we? Yeah, um, And I... some of us have the uh, either ability or the opportunity to act them out. I mean, I'm yeah. sure Vivian was a character. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. Your character in He's Bo- not me. Uh, no, but they're all you. But there's bits of me. In it. But they're all yeah. you. Yeah. Pauline Black kind of came out of that. Previously, she had been Pauline Vickers. Yeah. Tell, tell us why you named yourself. They're like James Brown named a nation. <laughs> you know, I, I, I took it from him. Uh, I named myself because at the time, I ha- was in the tricky position of uh, being up for promotion, possibly. There was somebody else in the radiography department who uh, was very much into uh, being in a band. 
he was into prog rock. Tolkien. And he really, really wanted to be in NME or sounds or any of these things. He used to religiously read them every week and stuff. And I was in a band. <laughs> but we were kind of moonlighting. Eventually, of course, it came apparent that maybe we were going somewhere and the enemy wanted to interview us. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, I can't be Pauline Vickers in this interview. Oh, they all know, they know I'm moonlighting. Exactly. So I was sitting there with Char Charlie Anderson, who was the bass player, and we just started talking and he was going, Pauline, yeah, well, Pauline's, what, mm, Pauline's black, yeah. And I just thought, <coughs> Pauline black, yeah, that sums it up. My parents, black people were coloured people. That was all they knew. That was the only word that anyone knew in Essex, and they thought they were being polite. I really didn't like that terminology, and I just thought Pauline's black. Yeah. They'll have to call me black now. Yeah. Which they did. Well. And you, and you changed it by Deepol. I changed it by D. Well, I'm, I'm never one to do half. Part. <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna do it, you go all the way. Yeah, I changed it by Deepol, and uh, and I've loved it ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Here, somebody was inviting me in to be in a band that was two-tone, which was about black people and white people, that was me. Yeah. You know, a black person, a white person had made me. Yeah. So I just thought, wow, this is a perfect fit, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, I'll follow suit and go the whole hog, which I did. Oh, look, what's that? Okay, we have your monkfish oh. tandoori, chumba salad with rainita dip, and then we have your crispy artichoke with tomato. Mom, that's a great Cool. Wow. You lived in London for bits, didn't you, when you were...? Yes, yeah, I lived in, in your, Vauxhall. I'm going to call them your wilderness years. It was the wilderness years. But you, you did that programme Black on Black. Yes, Black on Black was great. And that was very much the first magazine programme that there was. Yeah. People like Diane Abbott, Keith Vaz, yeah. all, all of them, Bernie Grant. Uh, they hadn't become MPs by that time, Paul yeah. Watteng but they were going to be, yeah. and they used to come down and sit in the audience because it was in front of a live audience. So we saw all of that. I mean, Dark as Howl was there as well. And you went off to America and interviewed Jesse Jackson. I did. That's <laughs> Jesse Jackson touched this knee. <laughs> <laughs> in a kind of uh, slightly... No, oh, well, um, maybe I could sue him all these way. years later. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Well, I didn't take it like that. I just, I was gobsmacked. I have to say that he had agreed to be interviewed by a, you know, novice little journalist. Yeah, what were you? Weren't you in your early 30s by then? I was, but I, it was like he had been on the balcony yeah. with Dr. Martin, Martin Luther yeah, King yeah. when he was assassinated. Yeah. You know, and it was, for me, that was like, the second coming, yeah. as it were, and here he was standing. I remember standing in Union Square for hours and hours and hours, because that's where the Democratic Convention was, and that yeah. was when he was standing um, for uh, the nomination for the Democratic part Party. It, it was just wonderful, because it was the Rainbow Coalition. No one had heard of that word, multiculturalism, at that time. Yeah. But we were all in Union Square. I was there on my own, because I'd just absconded from... Uh, TV party that I was with yeah. at that time. I just went down there and the Ku Klux Klan were marching on the street and that was the first time I'd ever seen them when I'd been to America. And I just thought, this is real history. And, and also I met Coretta Scott King too. Yeah. That was just such an honor. Um, and, and it was that real transition. I mean, in a way, uh, when I look back at it, everything was being paved 
then for Barrett. For, for, for yeah. History is, isn't it? It's small steps that mm. that Barrack wouldn't have happened without that exactly. happening, you know. That was delicious. Yeah. I just it was. can't eat any more of it. <laughs> I've, eaten, I've eaten too many of those. Favourite dish from today? Um, I think it was that. Yeah. Which was yeah, last, yeah. I've left some of it, the art of the crispy I think it was the scallops. Yeah, yeah scallops are delicious. It was all extremely good. You got into acting in, in a fairly major way, I accept. I mean, you must have, at some point, thought, I'm going to be an actor for the rest of my life. Because you, you, you joined that sort of black theatre cooperative. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you did various versions of Chekhov with them. Mm -hmm. And then you did this brilliant and an award-winning performance in, in the thing about Billie Holiday. Mm -hmm. Where did you think you were going after Billie Holiday? I think that the Billie Holiday was a sort of a watershed. I, I did act yeah, I, after I, that. I could begin to see that there was a huge glass ceiling here. All right. You know, then we were not living in Bridgerton times or anything yeah. like that. And the most you could usually do in TV at that time, which was obviously the ladder, wasn't it? Yeah. As such, was uh, the secretary, the cleaner, the prostitute. Weren't quite so many prostitutes at that time, but I played one. And you began to think, well, there's got to be more than this. I mean, maybe it was just I wasn't that great an actress. I mean, I would take you that. Were, you won the Best Actress Award. Well, yes, but I mean, that doesn't mean to say that you, that that was for stage. I'm no slouch in coming forward and saying that if I'm on a stage, I tend to sort of, everybody yeah. knows I'm on it. Yeah. If you kind of see what I You're mean. But I me. was very, very less, didn't feel quite so empowered for cinema or anything. Yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd like to order, thank you, yeah. Uh, oh, I'm supposed to be looking yeah. at this. Yeah, no, Without my glasses, right. the world just looks <laughs> blurred and wonderful. <laughs> Do I look lovely? Yes, you look gorgeous. <laughs> oh, but now you're glasses. <laughs> Take them off again. <laughs> I'm going to have the affogato with the Pedro Jimenez. Um, I think I'll have the dark chocolate mousse, please. And that's it. Are you OK for wine? Oh. Have we drunk a whole bottle? <laughs> well, I've drunk most oh, of Lord it, darling. Oh, God. <laughs> God, no wonder I'm roaring. <laughs> Can I have a cappuccino as well? <laughs> Creativity is a kind of weird soul pursuit, isn't it? Even if you're in a band or in a group of people. To my mind, when I'm on a stage, I feel in absolutely relaxed and I feel in total command. Did you always feel from that? The audience. Yes, from the very first time, Did really, you? I got on one. There was a female director called Annie Castledine. Did you yeah. come across her? No. Anyway, I did a one-woman play with her, and it was like, because if you're in a one-person thing, yeah. you're there. You've got to, you know, keep Give these it. people um, um, going. And also, you can't corpse at any particular moment, which definitely happened to me, because a friend of mine insisted on coming along. Uh, he, he was the kind of character that was right out of bottom. And anyway, he, he seemed to be wearing these pair of jeans with no, uh, and he was going commando. And he was up on the back row. And they were wriggling out of um, an opening in his oh. cut-off jeans. Oh, Lord. And Vanessa Redgrave was in that night, and she was snoozing up on the back row. <laughs> It was all very bottom, actually, you know. Yeah. And mid-performance, 
he decided to walk down the centre aisle. It's the drill hall. <laughs> walk down the centre aisle. <laughs> Unkind act. <laughs> but it was funny. And how on earth I just didn't sort of, you know, completely uh, corpse my way through that. <laughs> you, you met Vanessa at the Lyric, didn't you? Yes, she with was, my brothers. She was, um, she was performing upstairs while you were in the... Um, she was performing in the studio. main house while I was yeah. in the studio, yeah. I did it. We'll go on to that story. I did a very similar thing. I was in the studio in the early 80s and, um, oh, who played Gandhi in the film? Sir, Sir Ben Kingsley. We got invited up to his dressing room because we were the lowly company in the studio. And um, we went in and uh, it was just after he'd done Gandhi. And we went, we thought we were just going out for afternoon tea, you know, maybe a biscuit. And we went into his room and he stood there, they opened the room, and I don't know if he'd lit it specially, but at the end of the room was his, was his Oscar. Oh. <laughs> Sitting on <laughs> the shelf. I shouldn't laugh. And uh, <laughs> that he just won. And we all went in and uh, all looked at your head, you know, looked back around, you know, what, you know, where's the tea and the biscuits? Said, uh, there, there you are. Thank you very much for coming. <laughs> And, we, and then we were all kind of washed out. And it was specially we'd, lit. We'd, we'd, it felt like it was. <laughs> but we'd obviously been invited just to see what we could aspire to. Whereas you had a very different relationship with, with your uh, star in the main square, didn't you? Because oh, well she, became, she became a sort of friend of yours. Um, because you I, were... I, I'd known her for anyway due to um, some political pursuits in my year. Well, didn't you, you? You played the Swan, didn't you? With yes, but that was with um, uh, Actors Touring Company, I think it was. Yeah. We we did um, well. It was Anthony and Cleopatra. The text was, but we yeah. called it Cleopatra and Anthony just to make sure that who was boss. <laughs> just to be a bit ordinary. <laughs> no, no, who, who was boss? <laughs> she was. She was. In the main house, I'd been doing the Cleopatra and Anthony, and my brothers, two of my brothers, had come from Essex to see me. I'd invited them. They'd never been to see me in a play ever before. So that was weird for them. The studio is a relatively small space, isn't it? Why was it weird for them? Um, because they'd never seen like they had no inkling. Before. No inkling of what yeah. they were prepared for. At the end, uh, I, I kind of crept out and I said, just go downstairs, go to the bar, and, uh, and I'll see you down there. So I get down there, Vanessa Redgrave's down there. So there's my two brothers standing there. I had to introduce them. Yeah. Thinking, <clears throat> do I do this or do I not, kind of thing. Because, I mean, they were kind of Essex finest, sort of, you know, voted conservative and yeah. the, the, the whole enchilada there. Um, and were reasonably racist and all the other <laughs> isms that you could think of too. And, and Anthony was a, was a gay actor. So, so none of it was going well. <laughs> so I said... They haven't oh, voted for any of it. Not any of it at all. So I said, oh, these are my brothers. So she looked a bit sort of like... Mm, but I thought, oh, well, let's just get over that. She'll figure it out. And I said, you know, this is Roger and this is Tony. And uh, she said, oh, great. So they immediately, I mean, they knew who she was. I mean, everybody knew who Vanessa Redgrave yeah. was. And my brother, my oldest brother, who's very, very tall, piped up. Um, I go to the theatre. 
And I thought, no, you don't. <laughs> and she said, oh, really? Oh, what have you recently seen? He said, and then he came out with Raymond's Review. <laughs> well, you might have been coming to see the comic strip. Oh, right. That's where we used to before. No, well, if only, if only. The thing we're yeah. doing at the moment was, um, yeah. Myself and Gaps, with special guests of Jules Holland. What do you do in the show? A song, Carrie Brincom, which is a cover. We do The Whisper, which is our fifth single. And we do Too Much Pressure and we top it off with On My Radio, yeah. which time everybody's up and yeah. know, blah, blah, blah. It's absolutely joyous because we know what our role is. Our role is to go on, grab this audience by the scruff of their neck, you know, because they're all a bit shyazy, some of them, you know what I mean, if you get my Shyazy, that's a lovely lovely (laughs) word. The band has lasted until, I mean, you're still going, there's still three of you in the band. Mm -hmm. Still H and Gaps in the band, aren't there? Mm -hmm. How do you deal with um, being in the same band for 45 years? I've always felt very faithful to the selector. I've always felt very faithful to the ideal of the selector. You know, not write love songs particularly. Mm. Write songs that were about the world in which we live and um, and trying to put forward maybe not a better way, but an alternative way of how society could go. Social comment. Yes. So I think there's the space. Do you think they're heading in the right direction? Do I think it's heading in the Do you the remember right seeing direction? a film called Motorcycle Diaries, the one about Che Guevara? There was at one point in the um, film where they're talking about race in general in South America. And they, he says the word, we are eventually all mixed. Hmm. And um, I think it's more evident in South America. I think the, the kind Well, of... it is, but I mean, it moves on a lot of different levels, class yeah. and race. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the, 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 there's uh, all of those yeah, things yeah, in there all... as well. I mean, yeah. miscegenation is yeah. the way forward. So if we just fuck each other, then we're yeah. all happy, you know? There's no fear of a black planet. Yeah. Because that's what upsets everybody, yeah. isn't it? When I look around, I mean, I only have to sit on a tube train now, yeah. and I think, wow, well, everybody's, everybody's doing it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm ecstatically happy. Yeah. yeah. And we've carried on, you know, this career this long. I mean, this lecture is still out there and is still kind of, you know, making yeah. people happy. While we can still do that, I feel as though there's a Your reason current. for the selector yeah. to exist. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope they exist for many years to come. And indeed, I hope you exist for many, many years <laughs> to come. You liked on my radio, and thank you oh, very much for that. That's the island discs. <laughs> well, I'm going to do it now. <laughs> this is my original copy. Oh, a label. Um, I'm sure you do. I want you to sign it for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I can't tell you. This is just brilliant. This is the most played record on my... Really? Absolutely. Well, it's a double A side. Yeah. Too much pressure. People don't know that. Look at that. You probably increased the value of it. (laughs) (laughs) It can't be be worth very much without the signature because there's so many of them sold. There must be hundreds of them around. Yes, I suppose so, but I don't know that how many are still in existence as such. Um, You know what it's like with people. (laughs) Oh, thank you very much. I mean, it it is three minutes, 15 seconds of the most brilliant music. Um, my favourite. It's record. a very cool song. My it's a very cool song, and that song. is purely and simply down to, um, to to Neil Davis for writing it in the first place. 
And for Roger Lomas, the producer, yeah. for, for coming up with the whole idea of, hey, what if you sing that really high? Because, of course, at that time, sort of Kate chord. Bush had just had out Wuthering yeah. Heights and also Lucky Number One. Oh, yeah, Lena Lovitch. Lena Lovitch. And I thought, okay then. Yeah. I know, sort of thing. And it just came out and it just absolutely fitted and made it that quirky kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Pauline, it's been absolutely fantastic meeting oh, you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, no, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Thoroughly enjoyed this encounter. Thanks to Pauline there. What a fascinating human being. The Selector's album, Human Algebra, their latest, is out now. And for news about live dates and the album and all things Selector-based, you can go to theselector.net. They spell Selector in their proprietary way. It's S-E-L-E-C-T-E-R dot net. Theselector.net. And thanks to Shania, Zoe and the team at Prawn on the Lawn in Islington, London. Go to prawnonthelawn.com for more details. It's all very simple. You know how to work the internet. Please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your pods for brand new episodes. And please tell your friends, enemies, and maiden aunts about us, because it really helps. The more people who listen, the more they let us make. Thank you to our production team. Production management is Poppy Thompson. The assistant producers are Rani Prescott and Dulcie Wodcock. Social media is Jonathan Imiere. The recording engineer is Paul Brogdon. The mix engineer is Gulliver Tickell. The senior producer is Selena Reem. And executive producer is Ollie Wilson. Out to Lunch is a Sony Music Entertainment production. That was Out to Lunch. We've eaten all the grub that set our lips a smacking. That was Out to Lunch. We polished off the booze and soiled our napkins. Goodbye.